So that's your birthday, Quillen? New. All right. Turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel. Anybody know where 1 Samuel is? Before 2 Samuel. It is in the Bible. You're right. It's in the New Testament. You guys are not paying attention tonight, are you? That is wrong. It's in the Old Testament. Come on. Are we tired tonight? Why is everybody tired tonight? Was it too dark in this room? Just like set the mood. Nice little nap. First Samuel. Not second. Not yet. We might go to it. All right, last week we talked about what? Anybody remember the title? You always remember. What was the title of the message last week? It's part of it. It was get out of the fridge. No, get out of the tent and look up. Good job. Get out of the tent and look up. So the idea, we've been kind of in a series, not on purpose. It just kind of happened that way. On purpose for God, I'm sure. But the series we've been kind of talking about is knowing all that we have in Christ, right? And living a life that is full of him, that is full in him, right? That he has this destiny and this plan for you that is amazing and great. So why not? Why wouldn't we want everything that he has for us? Amen. So last week we talked about get out of the tent and look up the tent represented man's limited perspective, right? It was, we were talking about Abraham or Abram at that moment. And Abram was in the tent and God came to him in a vision. And he, he was saying, I want to bless you and I want to pour my blessings out on you. And Abram says, what good are your blessings when I don't even have a son? Right? And so in his own mind, what he couldn't see is he couldn't see the plan and the calling that God had for him. God had this amazing calling. He said, I'm going to call you to be the father of many nations. Right? He said, look at the sand on the seashore. Try and count it. That's how your nation, that's how your descendants are going to be. That's how many. Right? So he's giving him this great calling, but then Abraham kind of gets deferred and, and says, well, what good are your blessings when I can't see the result of them? Right? When I can't see the plan, I don't even have a son. And so God in that moment says, get out of the tent. In other words, he's saying, get out of your own mindset. Get out of what only you can see. And then the next thing he says is, look up. Look up. Right? Look up to God. Because he's the one that has the plan and the destiny in his hands. And he's saying, look at me. And then he says, now count the stars if you can. And obviously he couldn't count the stars because there's trillions of them. Billions and trillions and millions. Right? He could not count them, but God knew that. And what he was saying was, obviously, but I can. And I know them. And he's saying the same thing for us, that we all have a destiny that he knows of. We all have a plan that he set out, he set aside from the very beginning, before you were even thought of, before you were in your mother's womb. Do you know each one of you came from a womb? Weird. Just wanted to point that out. 
before you were ever thought of, God had already thought of you, and he had a plan and a vision and a destiny all lined out and set apart for you specifically. That's pretty amazing to think of. But see, a lot of times we start to get sidetracked because we can't see that destiny, or we can't see that calling. And the same thing happened with Abram. He could not see the end result. All he could see what was right in front of him. And God said, get out and look up. He's saying, look to me, because I have the destiny and I have the plan for you. This week, we're going to continue on that. We're going to talk on a different story, different part of the Bible. That's why you're in Samuel and not in Genesis. First Samuel 23. We're talking about, anybody know? David, do you know? David. We're talking about David. (laughs) I don't know. We're talking about David. A little bit of background of David. David was a little shepherd. He was a shepherd, shepherd boy. He, yep, like this one right here. Right, shepherd. He was a shepherd, meaning he tended the sheep, right? He was in control or in charge of the sheep to protect them, to watch out for them, to feed them. And he was a great shepherd. He was also the youngest boy in his clan or in his family. He was the youngest. And he was also sought out by Samuel through a vision of God. Now, God led Samuel. Samuel was a prophet. And he led Samuel to go to the house of Jesse, which was David's dad, to find the next king. Now, Saul in this time was the king. But Saul was only king because everybody in the nation wanted a king. God didn't want to give him a king, but they wanted one. So he said, all right, well, you guys choose your king. And they, they chose Saul. But God always had a plan. He was always in charge. And he knew there was going to be a better king that was coming. And he had that planned out. But that king was still a little boy. So he goes and he looks for the king. He sends Samuel to look for him. Samuel looks at all the family, all the boys. But none of them were the one. And after that, he asked Jesse, his father, he says, is there any more? And he goes, oh, yeah, the shepherd, the boy out in the back. So he brings in David. Samuel there anoints David to be the next king. Now, this is a long time before he becomes king. He's just a young boy. He's just a shepherd. He hasn't done much. He's fought off a couple lions and bears. No big deal. But then after that, the Spirit of the Lord was in David and moving in him. And so then an opportunity comes when this giant is attacking the Israelites and this big old Philistine, he's like nine feet tall. And then David, this tiny little boy, says, I'll go after him. Nobody else wanted to, right? He's a great warrior. He had a, man, he had a heart for God. He had a, he had a heart of faith. Belief God would do amazing things in him. Through him, it didn't matter how big he was, so he went out and he killed Goliath. We know the story of that, right? David was also a worship leader. He also loved to play his instruments and worship before God. He had this harp he would play, and he was amazing at it. He was so good that Saul, as he was king, wanted him to play for him. So every time Saul would get angry, it says there was evil spirit in him. And every time the spirit would torment him, he would call in David, and David would play his music for him and worship, and it would take that spirit away. He was also like a son to Saul. Saul promoted him 
high in his kingdom because everything David did prospered. Everything he put his hands to multiplied. He did better. He was amazing at basically everything. He was a great warrior, so he put him in charge of his army. He was also best friends with his son, Jonathan. He also married his daughter, one of his daughters, Michael. It's a girl. Let's clarify. Michael, the girl, married her, right? He was great in Saul's army. But Saul started to see that, and he started to become bitter towards them and angry at him because everybody loved David, and they stopped really loving and respecting Saul. And so they started to follow him. He started to get upset at David, and he started throwing spears at him. Literally, he'd throw spears at him. He tried to attack him. He tried to kill him in many different ways because he hated what was happening. Now, the Spirit of God was no longer in Saul, right? It was in David. And David was continuously seeking after God and wanting more of him. But Saul was seeing that happen and wanting to kill him. So when we begin here in 1 Samuel 23... There's a whole army that's, that's coming that's had, Saul's already been chasing him several times to try and kill him. Here's another time that he is trying to kill him in verse 14. You guys with me? Yes? Cool. David, this is going to be a lot of reading, so bear with me. David now stayed in the strongholds. If you have a pen and you like to marker your Bible like I do, Marker down strongholds. Highlight it. Underline it. Highlight it in your Bible if you can do that, or your iBible if you can do that. Strongholds. We're going to come back to that. The strongholds of the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph. Saul hunted him day after day, but God didn't let Saul find him. One day near Horesh, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and to kill him. Jonathan... Who's Jonathan? Saul's son. David's best friend. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. That's hilarious. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home, and while David stayed at Horesh. But now the men of Ziph went to Saul and Gibeah and betrayed David to him. We know where David is hiding, they said. He is in the strongholds of Horesh on the hill of Hekalah. Sweet names in here. Which is in the southern part of Jeshimon. Come down whenever you're ready, O king, and we will catch him and hand him over to you. The Lord bless you, Saul said. At last, someone is concerned about me. Go and check again to be sure of where he is staying and who has seen him there, for I know that he is very crafty. Discover his hiding places. There's another key point right there. Discover his hiding places and come back when you are sure. Then I'll go with you, and if he is in the area at all, I'll track him down, even if I have to search every hiding place in Judah. Skip down to 1 Samuel 24, verse 1. After Saul 
returned. Okay, so Saul had left to go fight the Philistines for a time. He had paused on his uh, murder chase after David. And now he's coming back. He's ready to go after him again. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Awkward. But as it happened... David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Even more awkward. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of his head. See if you're paying attention. A piece of the hem of Saul's robe, not a piece of his head. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's head off, called Saul's robe. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my Lord the king. He said to his, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this. To the Lord the king and attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord the king. Then when David looked around, when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say I am trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes that it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. That's a, that's a key little phrase right there too. For the Lord placed him at his mercy. The Lord set it up and put him there, right? So some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father. At what I have in my hand, it is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you were trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure that I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. When David had finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that really you, David, my son? Then he began to cry, and he said to David, You are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me, when the Lord put me in the place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had the power, when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you for your kindness and show you that you have shown me mercy today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. 
Now swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised this to Saul as an oath. Then Saul went home, but David went back to their stronghold. Second Samuel 22. We're going to read this whole chapter. Just kidding. Just waiting for that. Verse 2, he's saying, he being David, so this is later, right? He writes this, David sings, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock, in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and the place of my safety. He is my refuge. He is my savior, the one who saves me from violence. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from violence. My enemies, that's a lot of reading. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that it's alive and active, that you're speaking to us. God, we thank you that when we read these words, we know we can hear you speaking over us, God. And God, we ask that tonight you would reveal yourself to us. God, you'd speak your word in truth and in power. God, you would change our minds and our lives tonight. God, that we wouldn't be the same today as we were yesterday, but God, we would be renewed and reestablish in who we are in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So that's a long story, right? Hopefully you get the gist of it. Saul is chasing David. All right? I basically could have summed that up for you. He was chasing him, wanting to kill him because he was jealous of him, because he knew that he was in the favor of the Lord, but he wanted to get rid of him. In every way, he wanted to get rid of him. Now, what does David do? Right? We see this whole story of David's response to Saul. Now, I know for us in our lives, most of us are not going to be chased by somebody trying to kill us. Anybody been chased by someone trying to kill you? Drew? Hey, you're back. It took me a while to make sure that's you. Hi, Drew. Most of us in our life, we're not going to be chased by somebody trying to kill us, trying to throw spears. Nobody throws spears anymore, right? Trying to take a whole army of people to cut our heads off. Most people don't have armies with them anymore. It doesn't happen, but we can still apply this to our lives that we all go through struggles and we all go through situations that pull us down, right? That pull us away from our life in him, from our life with one another, right? It, it, it gets us uh, down in, in distress and despair and anger and frustration, right? There's all kinds of things in the world that cause us to struggle, to stumble, to be tempted, right? In every way. But see, when David is tempted or when David is, is being pursued in the worst way of somebody trying to kill him, his response is pretty amazing. Now, there's two things that I think of that we could do in this situation that we would normally think to do that he could have done. Number one, thank you, kill him. David was a warrior, right? David killed Goliath. Saul was afraid to go after Goliath. Saul was a pretty big dude, but he wasn't as big as Goliath. And David was not afraid of people. Now, what we look at, we see it looks like David turned and ran. He ran away and he hid. See, that's not what David did. He could have turned and he run, right? Or he could have stand forward and just taken Saul out. He had opportunity after opportunity. It shows right here. He's in the cave alone with him. And he has the opportunity to kill him. Right? We 
get these same opportunities when we have struggles. And I want to, I want to compare a couple different things. First of all, I want to compare struggles in our life. But the second thing I want us to look at and compare is the calling on our life. Now see, David was called to be king. Right? But all these struggles and all these obstacles in the way were getting in the way of him becoming king, or at least in his mind. Right? There were things, there were roadblocks that were stopping him from becoming king. The same way that we learned last week with Abram, there was obstacles or there was things in the way. There was basically, there was life in the way of his calling to be the father of many nations because he didn't have a son. So we all have these. We all have a calling in our life. We all have a destiny in our life, right? We all have a future that's planned out for us. So I want us to compare that, our destiny, our calling, as one thing. And the second thing, our struggles, our temptations in life, the things that hold us back. So, the first main thing we tend to do as believers when we go through hard times, or as people, as, as people in general, the first thing we tend to do is try and handle it on our own. Right? That was the one temptation that, that David probably had was to try and take him out on his own, to try and kill Saul by himself. It would have been the easy route. He would have become king after that. But it wasn't the right way. It wasn't the way that God had orchestrated or ordained. Right? It wasn't his plan. But it could have been David's. Right? And we go through so many times like this where we want to just do things on our own. So if we see our calling in our life, or we see what we're made of, or we come to salvation in Jesus and we get excited and passionate about people. And so we get so passionate that we just start preaching to everybody. Anybody done that? You just get so excited, you just always want to talk about Jesus. And then people start to reject you, push you away, tell you to calm down. Right? And then it kind of wears off sometimes. Right? You have this tendency to just kind of get discouraged and see that nothing's happening. Right? Or you feel this calling to be a pastor. So you try and make yourself a pastor. Right? You just go up to people and say, dude, I'm going to pastor you tonight. Okay, you're going to come under my wing and I'm just going to take it on. I'm going to pastor you. No, see, that's not what we're called to do. But that's the temptation in a lot of ways is when we see our calling or we see what God has for us or we see a picture of it, we just try and pursue after. We try and get it done ourselves. Called to be a worship leader. Well, I might as well just start worshiping in front of everybody and see how many people are going to follow me. Right? We have this temptation to do it on our own, on our own. We have this temptation when we see the promise to just go after it. We become passionate about serving the church. We do it on our own strength. We serve and we serve and we show up and then we get discouraged because nobody else is showing up. And then we start to lose steam. We start to lose that passion. I have a burden for the lost. Right? We have this heart. We know our calling. Or we know a piece of it and we pursue it with our own strength, but we continuously get discouraged. See, David didn't look to try and do it on his own. David did not try and fight the battle in his own hands. And this is our temptation that we need to avoid is not trying to live a Christian life on our own. 
right? We see the aspects or we see what we're supposed to be as a Christian, right? We see what other people do and how the the things that they do or things that they don't do, meaning like the way that we should act or the way that we should live, like trying to make ourselves better. I think this is a huge trap of the enemy that we constantly try to make ourselves more like Jesus. Well, Jesus didn't cuss, so I'm going to stop cussing. Well, Jesus didn't smoke weed, so I'm going to stop smoking weed. Right? And we try and like cut all these things out in our lives, but really the, the point is not to stop doing everything. The point is not to just pursue that dream or that passion that God's called you to. Right? The point is to serve and to pursue Jesus. Right? You see, that's what David does. David doesn't run towards Saul to take it out, to take him out. David runs to the strongholds. Now, when we look at what a stronghold is, I'm going to find my spot here. A, a stronghold is a fortified place, a place of security or survival. So this was a literal place that there'd be in the mountains. So like caves would be a stronghold or a big bo- uh, uh, body of, of rocks like a mountain that was a good place for them to hide but also have higher ground so that they could attack the people coming at them. So it was a fortified place. It was a stronghold. It was a hiding place, a way that they could find strength and refuge. So it said David ran to the strongholds. It ran, he ran to those, those places of hiding. And see, I, I think when we look at this, I know when I look at this, it looks like David just ran away. And I think that's our other temptation, is that we just turn and we run. When things aren't going our way, when we don't see the promise fulfilled, when we don't see things happening, right, when we don't see our lives changing, when we're trying to overcome a sin, but it seems to just keep lingering, when you're trying to do something good for somebody else and they just reject you, or you try to live a life that is full in him, I'm going to do my best and just live full in him. But then we sin, we struggle, we mess up. Right, we don't have the friends around us we thought we did. Friends start to leave, people start to leave. And your situation just doesn't go the way that you planned or thought it would or hoped it would. You start to get discouraged and the tempt the temptation or the tendency is just to to leave, to run away or just to kind of just kind of live stale. Just kind of live not really pursuing that dream anymore, right? The passion's gone away, and the temptation is just to live a a mediocre life, a complacent life, not going anywhere, not growing, not being full, and we just want to run away. And see, that's what, in my mind, it looks like David did. He ran to the hiding places. But this is not what David did. David didn't run to Saul, and David didn't run away from him and hide. David ran to the strongholds. He ran to the hiding place. He ran to the Father. See, God was his stronghold. God was his refuge. He was his hiding place. Every time he turned and ran, he went to the Father and he said, God, what do you want me to do? He would get on his knees before the Lord and he said, God, everybody is coming after me. This guy's trying to kill me. I've got an army of 3,000 coming. Lord, what do you want me to do? And he ran to the father. He didn't run away from Saul. He ran to God. 
He ran to the stronghold. He ran to that place where he can find strength. And in our lives, we need to run to the stronghold. We need to run to the Father that we can find refuge. We can find a renewal, right? We can find a refreshing of our hope and our passion and our dreams that God has laid before us, right? We need to run to the stronghold. David ran to God. See, that's why I read this verse in 2 Samuel. He talks about God like this. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. He is my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me and places me in safety. He is my refuge. See, David saw God as his hiding place, as his refuge, of his place to rest, his place to get rejuvenated, his, his place that he could be built up and be strong. See, he knew he wasn't strong on his own. The only reason he slayed Goliath was because God was in him, doing a work in him, right? And he knew on his own he was weak, so he went to the Father to find strength. And when we're weak, when we're going through struggles, when we're going through times of just feeling like, what am I doing? What am I made for? Why am I doing the same thing over and over? Or why am I doing this and I see no fruit out of it? Or why am I living my life doing nothing, seeing no fruit out of it, right? Or I'm trying to live for God. I'm trying so hard to be a good Christian. I'm trying so hard to walk away from my life of sin, but I'm not seeing any results. See, David ran to the Father. Man, we're called to run to him. God wants you to run to him. He has that whole destiny and that whole calling set out for you. He has it planned. He has it prepared. He thought of it in advance for you. But he wants you to run to him. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I think we all know this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. He doesn't say, I'm giving you the plans. Here's the plans. Here's exactly what you're going to do. He says, I have the plans. My plans are to prosper you. Not to, not for disaster, but to give you a future and a hope. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. If I will be found by you, says the Lord, I will end your cap- captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and I will bring you home to your own land. I have the plan for you, says God. See, God has the plan for us. He had the plan for David all along. He knew that David was going to become king, even though it probably looked like he was going to die. God knew, hey, I have plans for you. And David trusted in the Father. He trusted in the Lord. And he ran to him rather than running after the promise, rather than trying to make the promise happen himself. See, if he wanted to, he could have killed killed Saul, and then the promise would be fulfilled that way, right? He would become king. But he knew that God had the plan. God put the calling on his life, so he trusted him. And he ran after the promiser rather than the promise. We are called to run after the promiser, not the promise. 
You all have a promise on your life. You all have a destiny on your life. We all have a vision that God has called us to. But see, the whole point and the whole part of the vision is that we would run to him and that he would make that vision happen. That he would be the one to make the promise fulfilled. Rather than us trying to fulfill the promise on our own, God wants us to run to him and he will fulfill the promise. Our purpose as believers is to chase after him. Not to chase after a promise, not to chase after an event, not to chase after a good feeling, right? Not to chase after being a good Christian, living a certain way. Our point and our purpose is to chase after him. He is our prize. When you look back at Hebrews 11, it talks about all these men of faith. And it says, all of them died with the promise unfulfilled. The promise was not fulfilled yet. See, the point wasn't the promise. The point was them to seek after the promiser. The point for you and the point for us as believers is not to seek after our own destiny. It's not to try and make it happen on our own. It's not to try and be a Christian. Your point and your purpose is to love Jesus, to live a life that is for him, to live a life that is running to him to find your refuge, your strength, to empower you, to reestablish you, to give you hope, to give you a destiny, to give you a future. It's in him, not in your own trying, right? Not in our own being, our own trying to do it better or us running away from it, right? It's about us running to the one who gives us the promise. Man, our life is full when we run to him. God wants to fulfill that destiny. He wouldn't have made it if he didn't want to fulfill it in you. But he wants you to run to him. He wants us to set our eyes on him. And when we continue to set our eyes on him, and that's where we find strength. We don't find strength in doing it on our own. We find strength in him. Let's look at Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 2, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Or it also says in another translation, the author and finisher of your faith. For the joy set before him, he endured on the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. God is not just the beginner of your faith. He's not just the starter, right? Not just the author, but he's also the finisher. God finishes the good work that he does inside of you. He wants to complete it. It's about us running to him. I know I'm most inconsistent in my walk with him when I'm inconsistent in my time alone with him. When I'm not spending time with Jesus, just one-on-one time, I start to get stressed out easier. I start to to try and do everything on my own. I I know the motions. I know how to try and be better. And I can do that for a little while. But then I just get frustrated and discouraged and stressed out. Right? It's like trying to stay up for days at a time. Eventually, you're going to pass out and get tired and need strength, need rest, need energy. We do this at GM camp and we try and stay up as long as we can. And then we crash. And it's hard. Right? God is our strength. 
He's the one who rejuvenates you and gives you that energy that you need and the strength that you need. But see, we have to come to him weak, knowing, God, I need you in this. God, I can't do this on my own. God, I want to live a life that is for you and full in you. And if you want to live a life that is full of him, you have to be full in him. Right? You have to surround yourself with Jesus. You have to have one-on-one time with the Father. I think this is super hard for extroverts. Anybody in here extroverted? A bunch of introverts. There's a couple. Yeah. It's hard for us, and I'm not making excuses. I think it's hard for an extrovert because we're so people-oriented. Right? We find our our joy in people. We find uh, what rejuvenates us or builds us up. Or we find life when we're surrounded with other people. And so it's easy in that same aspect to find, try and find your relationship with Jesus through other people, right? Through time spent with others, through other believers, right? Through listening to the preaching of the word. And we avoid that one-on-one time because it's hard for us to get alone. God wants you, whether you're introverted or extroverted, to take that one-on-one time with Jesus, to spend alone with him. God wants to fulfill that full destiny in you, but you have to continue to remain in him. When we remain in him, that's when he fulfills the destiny. That's when he fulfills the promise, right? In David's life, as David continued to seek God, God delivered Saul into his hand. It says he was in the cave already, and then he saw Saul right there. He delivered him right into his hand. He could have killed him right there, But he continued to look to the Father. And God continued to make a way. And we know later in the book, in the chapters, that David becomes king. Right? And and God blesses that kingdom in David's hand. God fulfills his promises. And he fulfilled his promise in Abraham. That he became the father of many nations. That he had a son of his own. God has a plan and will continue to have a plan and a destiny for you. Our job as believers is to remain in him. Right? John 15, 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Throughout our life, I think there's this constant battle of this. Trying to live for him, getting burnt out. Right? Trying to do it on our own, getting discouraged. Trying real hard to be around people, disciple people, and then they just don't ever grow, and you get discouraged. And then we just kind of coast for a while. We kind of float for a while. But see, the purpose and the point is not for you to fulfill the promise or fulfill a life that is full in him. The purpose is for you to live in him. The purpose is for us to remain in him, to remain a part of the branch and that he will continue the work that he started in you. We just got to remain in him. So chase the promiser, not the promise. Right? We're called to chase the promiser. We're, tried, we're called to live a life that is after him, that is seeking him, not seeking a gift, not seeking your ability, not trying to do better, 
but to live a life that is in him. Amen. Will you stand with me? Stand up. I'm going to pray and we're going to get out of here. Chase the promiser, not the promise. Right? We want to live a life that is full in him. Then we need to surround ourselves in him. Find your refuge in him. Find your strength in him. That when you're getting discouraged and you seem to be going up and down, man, we need to work on that one-on-one time and that relationship with Jesus. Run to him. Don't run away from the issue. Run to the provider. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that we have and can have a full life in you. God, that, that you have taken your time to look into us, to, to mold us and to make us into your image, God, and to have a destiny and a plan that is full and complete for each one of us. God, we want to live a life that is full in you, but God, we want to surround ourselves with you and that you would be the one to fight our battles. You would be the one to lead us to the promise. God, change our hearts, make us more like you. God, I pray that you would just continue to reveal that to us. This week, in Jesus' name we pray.